All right. Good morning, everyone. Happy Easter. How are we? Are we warm? It's toasty in here. It's good. It feels good. Spring is coming and maybe snow with it. Who knows, right? They don't know. We don't know. Who knows what's going to happen, right? I hope you're excited to be here. We're excited to have you here. If this is your first gathering with us, I hope Springs, we're happy that you're with us. Thank you so much for spending your Easter with us. We hope it's a time where you feel encouraged and, and blessed and just happy to be with the family, with the community of faith here. So we just really appreciate I know there's a lot of family here and a lot of good, a lot of good folks here that are maybe here for the first time. So thank you so much for being here with us. Uh, well, as we begin, we're gathered together today to sing and to celebrate and to reflect on and apply this one thing to our lives, this very one thing. And it is this, Jesus is alive. I don't know about you, but I believe it in my bones that Jesus is alive. That death and sin and devastation do not have the last word. Not in my life and not in the life of this world. Because in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And that the word became flesh and lived in front of us. And we saw his glory. That Jesus surrendered. That he suffered. That he was crucified and that he died. And that he was buried. But that that burial we celebrate today, that that burial was not the end of the story and was not the end of Jesus. That he was resurrected, that he has appeared to folks, and that resurrection is making all things before it and everything since new. And everything forevermore new. Today we're going to ponder something that angels long to look into. The resurrection, the life of Jesus. So I'm going to invite us once again to bow our heads and close our eyes. Why don't you pray with me? Go ahead and take a second to breathe. Take a deep breath from your belly. And maybe I challenge you just for a minute just to forget about, you know, dinner after this and all the family stuff. It's going to be fun, but just kind of, let's just, let's be together for a minute. I want to ask you a question as you're kind of reflecting there in the quiet of your heart. Where in your life do you need an under, not an understanding of what the resurrection is, but where in your life do you need to experience the resurrection? Not that it would be something you believe or don't believe in, but that's part of it. But more, I'm more asking you, Where in your life do you need to experience the resurrection of Jesus? And just be honest with yourself. Maybe if you're sitting here this morning, maybe there's a lot in your life that seems dead. Maybe you feel not alive. Maybe you feel like you're just stumbling through your life. Maybe there's a relationship that seems completely meaningless. One of your plans that's gone off the rails. Where do you need to experience resurrection today? Let's take a minute. Father, I want to pray that this morning that as we open up your word and as we celebrate your son Jesus and the power of his resurrection. God, I pray for my friends and for myself that these texts in this time wouldn't be just a time where we come and we, I don't know, check a box or say, hey, yeah, I believe that. 
But God, I pray for all of us here that are listening and that are experiencing you together today in this time, in this place, that we would experience the power of the life that you have for us in your son, Jesus. That this resurrection could be something that we live inside that would make us new. So God, I pray you'd make it personal for us. That everyone that's listening, every child, every adult, every parent, every spouse, every son, every daughter, brother, sister, God that's listening would experience the power of your resurrection today in a very special and personal way. By your spirit, God, would you open up our hearts and minds. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, the followers of Jesus, you may be surprised to hear, were shocked at his brutal death, which is weird because Jesus told his followers about his brutal death repeatedly. It's also not weird for the exact same reason. I don't know about you, but I can hear the same thing over and over and over and over again, and it never sink down. Or it's so unbelievable, or it's so offensive, that I don't have anything to do with believing it, right? And Jesus had said, like, he was, there are thousands of people following him through the desert. And he's saying this weird thing, like, yeah, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and, like, I'm going to die. And they're like, yeah, no, no, that's... That's silly. He's just talking. He's just being dramatic. That Jesus. He's just saying Jesus things. Just don't worry about that. It's all going to be great. It's all going to be fine. And instead of like entering Jerusalem on a white horse with a sword, he enters on a donkey with like a palm branches around. And it's a strange moment where his followers start to see that maybe he was telling the truth. It's not weird that people familiar with systems of power and religion and control thought that Jesus came to give us an upgraded operating system of religion. Maybe you think that. Maybe we think that. Maybe we think that whatever Jesus was talking about was just another method, right? Just another thing. Just another way. And maybe like the best way, but just like an updated way. It's really easy for us to forget as Christians if you're a Christian hearing my voice, that Jesus did not come to create a thing called Christianity. That that thing is not even in his mind when he's teaching and when he's living and when he's dying and when he's resurrected. The idea was not to start another thing. He came to bomb the whole system with love and grace. And his followers all abandoned him in his suffering and his death. Except for a couple. All of his followers abandoned, them, abandoned him except for a few women. Just a few women. Which shows you something incredibly profound about the relationship that these women had with Jesus. It shows you something profound both about him and about them. That this horrific death couldn't keep them away from connecting with him and from grieving. They're at the cross and they're at the tomb. While the men are huddled in a corner somewhere in Jerusalem, terrified for their lives, the scriptures tell us. They go in towards danger, towards the tomb. 
They find the security guards gone. They find the stone rolled away. Where they were expecting a guarded by soldiers three days dead body. They're upset, obviously. Thinking that not only has their teacher been horrifically crucified, but now someone has stolen the body. That's where we pick up with our tale today. Look at John 20, verse 11. This is where we pick up with it. Now Mary, Mary Magdalene, stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white. Two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Mary is devastated and curious. Jesus is gone. There are angels. And the angels, given the circumstances, maybe not from our perspective, but from theirs, ask a pretty good question. Woman, why are you crying? Why is it a good question? And by the way, the question rings across the millennia to us, too, here and now. Why are we grieving? And what are we grieving for? Woman, why are you crying? They ask her. What is the most logical conclusion given the data that Mary has seen to this point? What is the most logical conclusion? The logical conclusion, given everything that she's seen, given that Jesus told her, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to die, I'm in three days, I'm going to be resurrected. And she goes to the tomb, and the stone is rolled away, and the guards are, guards are just, poof, gone. And there's angels dressed in white, and the slab is empty. What is the most logical conclusion? Given all that she's seen, her lo- most logical conclusion is that Jesus was telling the truth, and that he has been resurrected, Right? I mean, it's unbelievable, but it should be believable given all the data that she has, right? That's why they ask her, woman, why are you crying? Are those happy tears or sad tears? Ask her, woman, why are you crying? What do you see? How do you read this thing that is happening right in front of you? And this is a question for all of us. She says this, they have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. Who who is they? (laughs) What what do you mean they? Who who is the they that's taken him away? You're talking to angels? And, And the most logical conclusion to where the dead guy is, after the dead guy told you that he was gonna clown death and make everything new again, would be that he isn't dead. But she looks at the data and draws a less logical conclusion given the circumstances. Here's what I want to say about this. Sometimes our logic is illogical. Does that make sense? No, it doesn't. What do you mean? Yeah. Sometimes our best, most reasoned understanding of the situation that we think is just rock solid, we miss it. And we miss it, and we miss it, and we miss it, and we miss it. There are people, and even, and there are people in this room that look at the data, and that they... Deep, deep down, behind the thing, behind the thing, behind all the stories that we're telling ourselves, we think, man, this, is, this might just all be an accident. Like, I don't know how I got here. I don't know why, but this whole thing might be for nothing. For absolute nothing. Does anyone ever, does, it, does this keep anyone else up at night sometimes? Can we be honest with each other on Easter Sunday morning? But for Mary, she looks at the data and she says, here's the conclusion. The conclusion is someone took him. 
Someone took him. This is impossible. There's no way anything good can come from this. And she jumps to a conclusion that is actually kind of illogical given the data. Look at verse 14. At this, she turned around and in one of the most funny verses in the Bible and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. Now, Jesus is resurrected. But he's not like in spandex with an S on his chest. Like, he looks like himself. We know this because later on, people will see Jesus and recognize him. But why do some people look at this body of Jesus and go like, who's that? I mean, think about this. When, when, like when Native Americans were on the shore and they saw ships from like these huge European ships coming in, there's like stories about how when they were watching them come in that they, they, didn't, they had no idea what they were even looking at. And I couldn't even really see them because the thing that they were seeing was so outside of the realm of possibility in their hearts and their minds that they couldn't see it. Mary looks at Jesus and can't see that it's Jesus because it's too good to be true. The question that jumps out for you all right here now is, is there anything that you are seeing but you're not seeing? Is there anything in your life that you look at and you're just sure that it is a dead end? You are sure that there nothing good can come from this thing. You are sure that you know, that you know that you know what the truth is about this situation, but you're not seeing? And then he asked her in verse 15, woman, same question. Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Can you put yourself in this story? Can you put yourself in her heart for a minute? Can you put yourself in Jesus' heart for a minute? Mary, who has lost the most important person in her life, is looking at that person and cannot see that person. That's how heartbroken she is. And can you put yourself in Jesus? Jesus just looking at her with love and just, who who, who are you looking for? He knows who she's looking for. She knows who she's looking for. But who she's looking for is right in front of her. But she can't see. Look, Look after this. Thinking that he was the gardener because the Bible just shows off all the time, right? Like thinking that he was just there for what? Why is a gardener in a tomb? Again, our logic kind of breaks down, doesn't it, sometimes? Thinking that he was a gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. This is hilarious. I mean, this is hilarious. Essentially, Mary is saying, let's get Jesus back in the tomb where he belongs. Essentially, she's saying that to Jesus, fam. Like she's looking at Jesus, saying, where's Jesus? Let's get him back in the tomb. It's, it's bananas. Absolutely crazy. Think about the story that Mary is telling herself. Now, instead of a resurrected Jesus, for some reason, the guards called in for reinforcements, moved the stone, stone then directed by the gardener. This is like a weird game of Clue. 
You know, directed then by the gardener, the body was moved to some other place. And now Mary is on the scene and will oversee the safe return of Jesus' dead body back to the tomb. And this she is telling to Jesus. I mean, it's the best news. It's also some of the funniest news here today. So then Jesus just has to do Jesus things. Because clearly, and hear this, her eyes are not enough. In verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. And for some reason, whether it's a resurrected Jesus thing, or just the way he said it, or something just changed in her, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. It takes a while for Mary to process what she's experiencing. By the way, so it will take time for the rest of the disciples. But looking at this story again, it's almost like Jesus and the angels know that this is something nearly unbelievable. For the people who are seeing it in person, do you hear what I said? That it's nearly unbelievable for the people who are seeing it in person. Not just the people that are seeing it in person, but the people who were told exactly what they would see. And who are now seeing it. It's unbelievable. Almost completely unbelievable. It's almost like Jesus and the angels are patiently waiting to see if people will believe. Now we got a picture between verse 16 and 17 that Mary just lost her stuff and is just like hugging on Jesus and crying, right? Like ugly crying. She's ugly crying into his shoulders and just holding on to him because he says in verse 17 Jesus said do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the father go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God this is a really interesting verse and an interesting thing that Jesus tells her because first he says don't cling to me we think like clinging would be kind of good be kind of nice you know like Jesus is back. We have him. He's ours again. We can keep like looking to him for everything. But he says, don't cling to me. And then he goes on to say something even more incredible. He says, go instead to my brothers. Now, try to put yourself there if you can Jesus' brothers abandoned him completely, completely. Peter denied that he even knew Jesus. And right now, as Jesus is speaking, they're cowering in a corner. Somewhere in Jerusalem, afraid for their lives. But Jesus, in his love, resurrected Jesus, says, my brothers. And not only that, okay? He says, I'm going to my father, to your father and my father. Do you know who called, Je we call Jesus father all the time? And you've heard, that, heard me say it in, in churches your whole life, maybe. You've heard it said. Do you know who called God father in Jesus' time? No one. No one. Because he was too other. He was too above. He was too separate. He was too big for you and me to call him father. But a resurrected Jesus says, something has changed. And you know what's changed? You're my brothers and my sisters. The relationship that I have with God as his son is now your relationship once again with God, your father. My father and your father. We're a family again. 
He says, everything has changed. Do you know that the religious people wanted to kill Jesus for calling God his father? And now he's encouraging all of us to do it. Look at verse 18. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. (coughs) And she told them that he had said these things to her. Mary, Mary Magdalene, Mary with the bad reputation, Mary. She becomes the first apostle, the first evangelist. She is the one who gets it. She gives up her grief and her clutching and she enters into a new resurrection kind of universe. Because there's no longer any need for grief and for clutching. If you want to believe in the resurrection today, if you want to believe that you have a new start and that I do and that we can be God's family again, you have to believe this woman with a bad reputation. If you're going to jump into the story. And then look at the disciples in verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together, the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, of the religious folks. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Huh? What do you mean he came and stood among them and said, peace be with you? Is it like they're at, is it like they're, they're at a table and he's just like, he's chuckling like right behind Tap, tap, tap on the, peace be with you. And they all like, ah, are you kidding me? What do you mean? Peace be with you. Who are, Jesus? He just shows up. I don't don't know how he does it. The doors are locked, but he like force projects himself into the room. I don't know. Jesus, Jesus shows them his resurrected body. Look at verse 20. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. He's not a ghost. It's not like call Vankman and throw the thing out and hit the button and just zap. That was a Ghostbusters reference. Sorry, that's Ghostbusters sign language. I I don't have the words. So anyway, no, he's not a ghost. He has the holes in his hands and he has the hole in his side. And he shows them his body. This makes it weirder, by the way. Because if he's a ghost, we can kind of see like, ooh, he floats through the walls and everything's cool, you know? But he's not a ghost. He's Jesus. He's resurrected. He's alive. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. He has to say, peace be with you. Because they probably had to grab some new drawers and calm down. They're overjoyed, but Jesus has said this over and over. Now it's real. It's happening right in front of them. And again in verse 21, Jesus said, peace be with you. You know, we think of this as like super spiritual, you know. Peace be with like Charlton Heston voice. I, 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 I like to picture it like this, like them screaming like seven-year-old girls and like running around the table. Peace be with, like, like sit, sit down. It's okay. Peace, peace be with you. Like, it's okay. When Jesus says, peace be with you, he's saying, all the peace that I have between me and my Father, I give to you. All the connection that I have with, with God and with the world, I just, I'll give it to you. Peace be with you. Peace, peace, and not just peace, but as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. I don't know about you, but like, picture you go to your brothers who abandoned you, who didn't believe in any one way, shape, or another that you were going to be risen from the dead. And you go to them and you say, hey, it's all good. Also, I'm sending you exactly like the Father sent me. Does that seem wise to anyone? Like, have they... 
you know, like done their prayers? Like have they asked him for forgiveness? For their, like they haven't even done any of that stuff. And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm sending you. I, look, like there's peace. The resurrection has changed everything. So go. Go. As the Father has sent me. How did the Father send Jesus? How is Jesus sending you? Now I want to insert a little comment before the next verse because I think it's awesome. Because in Luke 24, which is the same parallel passage to this one, Jesus actually like eats a fish because they're freaking out and they think that he might be a ghost. So he's like, hey, what do you have to eat? I'm hungry. Resurrection is tough work or something. I don't know. He says, I want to eat something to prove, demonstrate that this is real. And so he eats a fish and that happens before this next verse. So look at verse 22. And with that, he breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. I know we make this super spiritual, but you got to laugh on Easter Sunday. You have to. You have to. Because in my mind, I picture it as fish breath. I do. I do. I really picture it that way. That he's just wafting over. That's how real it is. Like you want to receive the Holy Spirit? You want to do the super spiritual work? Like receive the fish breath, right? Receive the Holy Spirit. Because it's not about the breath. It's about the Spirit. He says, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. What? You say that kind of thing to these kind of people? Yeah. The people who abandon you? Who haven't even asked for your forgiveness yet? That we've seen? Yeah. That's what Jesus does. That's the kind of resurrection life that Jesus has. Like, receive the Holy Spirit. Go. Do. Everything's different. You can be resurrected too. We remember that God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being back in Genesis. That the breath is the wind, the spirit of God. He's saying, receive your identity back as God's kids and your mission as his people. Not something you need to white knuckle, something you need to manifest or muster. The resurrection is right here, right now. Peace be with you. Now go. Now do. Now be. There really isn't any convincing in this chapter, is there? Do you see a Jesus who's desperate to convince people of the truth of what he's saying? Do you even see a Jesus that's desperate to, like, convince them? I, I don't. I never really got this before, but with Mary and with the disciples, there's not convincing, there's just, there, there's not even a decision that needs to be made. The resurrection has changed everything. And now they are invited into the new life with God. We were going to do another part of this passage, but I'm going to skip ahead to John 20, 24. So that's going to be skipping quite a, quite, a, quite a little ways ahead. But I want to wrap up with this. I want to wrap up with someone that didn't get it. Because you could be hearing this and you could be like, oh, that sounds great. Like, and they lived happily ever after the end, you know, with their resurrection Sunday. But it wasn't, it wasn't all like that. It wasn't all like that. Look at John 20, verse 24. You know there always has to be one, right? 
I would be this one. Now Thomas, known also, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. Jesus is alive. They took a step into the impossible future of the resurrection, into believing that everything they thought about how God would save was wrong, and that Jesus was changing everything, and they had a part to play in it. That's what they say when they're saying, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, look at what he says to them. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe I understand Thomas. Do you? I get it. And, and I get it. I, I used to read this as like he was giving a test like, hey, I really want to put my hands in there. And, like, and if I do, like, I'm, I'm in. I don't read it that way anymore. <clears throat> I read it as a cynical, despairing joke that he says this. I don't read it as he's saying, like, I actually think I'm going to put my hand in Jesus' side. I read it like he's saying, this is stupid. What, what, what do you mean you've seen the Lord? What, what do you mean resurrection is What do you mean everything's new? What do you mean? Unless I put my hands there. I, it's said in bitterness, in my view. And then in verse 26, a week later... His disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, apparently Jesus just, this is how he gets around. <clears throat> Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said again, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. This time Thomas is there. Thomas with his fears and with his doubts and with his questions and with his cynicism and with his bitterness, just like you and me. I want you to notice that in this text, Thomas doesn't ask to touch Jesus in the emptiness. He doesn't ask to touch the holes. But what does Jesus say? In verse 27, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting, he says, and believe. Quit doubting and start believing. Doubt your doubts. Let go of your fears. All of your doubt and your fear and your sin, it's all swallowed up in these holes. In essence, Jesus says, reach into the emptiness of these holes and find something above and beyond everything. Find new life and new hope that transcends death. And instead of putting his hands there, Thomas says in verse 28, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. So on Easter Sunday, is, is seeing believing? It wasn't for Mary. <laughs> Mary sees resurrection right in front of her. And it, it, it didn't do it. She just missed it. And then Jesus says, Mary, and she gets it. For the disciples, is it like Jesus' fishy breath? Is it the holes in the hands and the side? Jesus says, blessed are the people who haven't seen these things. 
but can get together on an Easter Sunday and can believe these things. Can take a step out of our cynicism and out of our logic, which it proves to be illogical in Mary's case, and jumping into the new life of Jesus, the new love that God has shown us in Jesus. John tells us why he wrote these things, and he tells us why he shares the story of Jesus' resurrection. Look at verse 30. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That by believing you and I would have life in his name. You see, this story is a lifeline. It's a message of hope and of grace for anyone in need, which is everyone in need. And the invitation for all of us today and for all of us every moment of every day is to come and taste and see that this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And that he sent Jesus to live and to die and to live again so that his life might resurrect yours and mine. That we might love each other So the invitation is to you today, peace be with you. As the Father has sent Jesus, so he is sending you to live in the love that he's given you in his son, Jesus. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Let's pray, let's reflect. Let's ponder the message. Let's ponder the hope. and you've never taken a step out into faith, into trusting this message of hope and grace for you, I invite you to do that today. To pray. And whatever words make sense to you, to embrace this good news. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and that he sent Jesus make us one with God again, to atone for us, to bring us back into God's family. Why don't you just take a moment and jump in. been on this journey for a long time. And maybe, maybe, maybe for you today, you look, take an honest look at your life and you look at a situation that you've looked at over and over and over again. And your logic is illogical. You've written someone off. You've assumed that that relationship is going nowhere. You've assumed that you can't quit that habit. You've assumed that this is an Easter just like any other Easter. And it's all going to be the same after this. For you, I want to just challenge you. Follow Mary back to the tomb. 
have an experience with the resurrected Jesus today? Where do you need new life? Where do you need new hope? Let's take a moment. <clears throat> Father, after this passage, my mind is on the disciples, on Mary and all the others who were afraid, who were guilty, who completely lost, their, lost the plot when Jesus was arrested, when he was tortured, and when he was killed. Father, we are reminded that you come to your people and you say peace be with you the story is not over all is not lost and then you send them you send them to show and to tell the good news of your love for us your great love that brings us back into the family again that makes us sons and daughters that makes us brothers with our Savior, Jesus. God, I want to pray for any of my friends here or any of my friends hearing this, that those who feel lost and alone, that by your Spirit, Jesus would show up and would say, peace be with you. You're my brother, you're my sister. God is our dad. We can be free again, we can be alive again. Father, would you speak hope and help to all your kids, to any of your kids who are suffering in distress, lost, broken, ashamed, God, we can fathom the shame of your disciples huddled in fear. And God, we need you to come into our lives and to speak peace be with you and to send us with a mission of hope. God, would you send this group of people out of this door to be your people, to be your church, to be your family. that we would experience a great love and that we would give a great love. That more of your kids might be able to come home. That there might be more peace. So Father, we thank you for this time and we thank you for this group of people and for this place and this celebration of the new life that we found in your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. It's for his kingdom's sake that we pray, amen. Thank you so much for being here with us. Happy Easter. If you're giving an offering, there is a box in the back. Have a great week. We'll see you next time.